0: rob and zach this is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre abnormal or off kilter for contemporary audiences occasionally these projects gel most times they crash hard into the rumble obscurity join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp i'm zach
1: and i'm rob and this week on cinemodities we are continuing on with Monstober. zach i have to say i'm having some fun in Monstober. we're talking about some pretty crazy stuff And this week's no different. Uh, We have a Zach's Choice, as is much of Monstober, except for Goosebumps. And uh, I think I just want to get right into it with something that needs to be said. We are watching this week on Cinemodities and discussing a movie that is dedicated to Johan Johansson who also performed the music for this movie. So Johan Johansson, of course, I think we talked about it, it was on our Sicario Dos episode, right, where he passed away uh, earlier this year, I believe, and uh, this was one of the last things he did before his untimely passing. Great Great composer, great music in this movie. We are talking about 2018's Mandy. Correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, the director is Panos Cosmatos? That's, I've never heard it pronounced, so I'm guessing that's it. <laughs> oh, see, I was I was going back and forth. It sure looks like panos, and it's either kosmatos or kosmatos. But kosmatos sounds so much like comatose, mm. and I know some other Greek people that I think that's how you would pronounce it. Uh, assuming this is Greek, of course, not that I'm an expert in that. But yes, Mandy, Nicholas Cage, Linus Roach, we got some stuff to talk about. So please, Zach, I would like to know right off the bat, why did you choose this? With your giant roulette wheel of Monstober movies, how did this one get on there? Well, you see, I originally wanted to talk about
0: Creepshow, but I was selfish, and I'm waiting for the Blu-ray to come out, and I realized the Blu-ray won't get to me until after Monstober, so I said, oops, gotta find something else (laughs) to put in there. I thought we were
1: doing Halloween.
0: (laughs) That's the fun of Mont folks. We have no idea
1: what is happening during Mont <laughs> Yes, just I- a peek behind the curtains. Before, really, uh, I think maybe two months ago, all of Monstober was populated by what Zach called mystery movies that he was not going to let me know what they were until an hour before I wanted to watch them. That's how much mystery Monstober was shrouded in. But those have all gone by the wayside, and now we're doing things that came out this year.
0: <laughs> Monstober has gone through many, many iterations. It originally was going to be the Halloween series based off the film franchise, and then it transformed into the mystery movies. And then it went through three or four different incarnations of, oh, we're going to talk about this. And then maybe like a week before, I tell Rob, no, I changed my mind. We're talking about this instead. <laughs> and, and as of Sunday night, there was a very strong chance Rob was going to get a text message saying, forget about Mandy. We're going back and we're talking about the original Halloween. Oh, God. <laughs> so th- at this point, I kind of just had to the, the, uh, show some self restraint and say, no, we're talking just about this.
1: Okay, okay. But
0: But the reason why I chose Mandy, amongst many other reasons, is that Mandy is obviously a. Uh, I guess it's really the only horror film, if you could even call this a horror film, that's coming out this Halloween uh, spooky fall season. Mm -hmm. That's actually lives up to what the holiday kind of means and what it goes for, or my understanding of it. You know, we do have things like the new Halloween remake. um, Insert the sixty-eight minute long rant that was excised from the Jason Goes to Hell episode here. (laughs) Oh, please no. (laughs) So, but no, I I think this is definitely a film. This is what when you think of like horror movies. This is what I imagine, not this like conjuring nonsense or Annabelle creation or or the purge. This to me, this is what an October movie should be. Okay. It's not it's not a hocus pocus where it's like, oh, look, we're in Salem, Massachusetts. And Bette Midler has a wig on. Woo. <laughs> like, it's not that, but it's. It's it, it is okay. Without going to okay, before we get into actually dissecting this film, sure. I want to hear Rob describe this film as few sentences as he possibly can.
1: Oh, I think it, I think it only needs one sentence to describe this whole film. Okay? okay, are you ready? I'm ready. This movie is the best recreation of what it looks like when you eat magic mushrooms, <laughs> and Nicolas Cage is in it. <laughs> so. So Honestly, I think that's what I have to say. We'll get into this, of course. We'll talk a lot about this movie because there's there's a lot that I want to say. I think that this movie is a bunch of greatly disjointed pieces that barely come together, but we'll get into that. But honestly, um, I think it's no, no uh, unknown fact that I have had a history with hallucinogenics. I did it back in my college years. I had those experimental days. And one of the things I've always said and still will say is that when I tried Magic Mushrooms, I saw colors that I had never seen before. This movie is the closest thing I've ever seen in real sober life that recreates kind of how everything looked back in those days. So, so really, that's, that's pretty impressive to me. Nothing's ever come close to this, I think, in, in terms of recreating how vibrant I saw things when I was on Hallucinogenics. I'm, I'm sure you expected some type of answer like that, Zach.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd be disappointed if at this point if I didn't get one. <laughs> yeah. But no, Rob has a point though because this film does have a very us- uh, unusual color palette. But Rob did not answer the question, so I'm going. Does Rob? Do you want? Do you want? Can I steal it from you, Rob? Do you want me to break down the plot of this film or?
1: Um, you should break down the plot of this film. I, I really kind of see this as maybe two or three separate films. Some I love, some I hate. So let's give your big over overarching grasp on this. How about
0: that? Yeah, okay. Um, I don't think this is a spoiler. This is a revenge film. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that gives anything away. Uh, essentially, what happens is Nicolas Cage, in, whose name is Red in this, yep. him and his wife live out in the woods. It takes place in, I think, 1983? And they're kind of, they live an isolated existence. And nowhere a cult leader and his followers see his wife, Mandy, and they just become enamored with her. So they break, break into their home. We're not going to give away spoilers just yet because we'll get, we'll get into that in a moment. They break into his home. The cult leader thinks Mandy's like going to be another one of his prophets. Mm-hmm. Uh, she rejects him. And they kill Mandy before Nicolas Cage's eyes, and the rest of the film is just a revenge plot of Nicolas Cage wiping out this cult. Yes. that That's essentially the plot of the film. Like Rob said, you can explain it in about two, three sentences – and But before, because obviously this is a new film, it's only been out for a few weeks, by the time this episode goes out, it will not even been on Blu-ray yet. Ooh. So I feel before we get into spoilers and we really delve into and dissect this, Rob, would you recommend Mandy, yes or no, or is uh, a, a maybe, but with a caveat?
1: I'm going to say maybe, and my caveat is, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but my caveat is really it should be a late night movie. You should put it on late at night watch the first hour, and then fall asleep. That That is how I recommend you see this movie, because honestly, and I'm sure, like we said before, we'll get into it, I, I loved the first hour of this movie. It had me completely enthralled. The second hour, where it became the revenge film, I was incredibly bored, and I could barely stand it. So I think this fits the bill for late night movie, where you watch the first half and then peacefully fall asleep as Nicolas Cage goes to kill people. <laughs>
0: uh i i I, i'm not a maybe i'm a yes i really enjoyed this i like i already kind of mentioned earlier this is a perfect halloween type movie this is a perfect september october film It get like Rob to the color palette definitely gets you into that state i will
1: i will agree with you there that i didn't think about that till you said it in this recording but this really does i think capture the the truest form of the halloween feeling this is a spooky movie
0: Yeah, it does have a lot of elements like that do come out of any sort of good spooky movie. There are elements that come out of left field that definitely play into that spooky, macabre nature. Mm -hmm. And it's fun to see Nicolas Cage actually be a competent actor for once. It's it's (laughs) nice to see him actually see that he's not just a paycheck actor that does the movies that are exclusive to the Red Box. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm not going to go as far as to say cinematic or late night movie yet, but sure, sure. I would say this is a, I'd, I'd highly recommend this if you if you want something in that pantheon. I'm trying to think of something. Again, I think this is firmly with next to things like Jason Goes to Hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this would be a great companion piece to Jason Goes to Hell. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we'll get into that more on. So, yeah, definitely check it out. And at this point, if you don't want any spoilers, do not listen anymore. <laughs> They, they, they turn us off now <laughs> come back once you've listened to it you'll like, you'll like this movie if you've, if you've enjoyed our podcast so far okay. so with that being said let's delve into this film uh, Why I first heard about this movie like a few months ago I think it was like I think it premiered at the Sundance Film Festival so that's what January, February I, believe and I, so. saw, I saw the poster and the poster is a really nifty looking poster it's like Nicolas Cage and you have like a really you have like a a triangle. You have the same. The, the colors of the poster are very similar to the color palette of the actual film itself and how it's yes. lit. And it's like what? And it's like Nicholas Nicholas Cage revenge film, like where they kill his <laughs> wife and he's going after people. And I'm like, yeah. And obviously, a lot of the pull quotes were like, "This is the most extreme Nicholas Cage you've seen in decades."
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm like, okay, you have my attention. So it's been on my short list for a while now. But it was one of those like if any film that that hits the festival circuit that's not like a a major blockbuster. It's like, okay, when is it coming out? So, like, there's so many films that like I hear about like months, if not years in advance. And it just takes forever for them to get like a, a VOD release yeah. or just randomly show up on Blu-ray one day or D V D. And so I think this was back like in the middle of September. I, I, I was looking at my local movie listings and it had one showing at seven o'clock on a Thursday <laughs> and that was it. Man. And I, and I figured like oh maybe because i was good i think i was deciding between seeing that or the predator and i'm like oh maybe if it comes out on a friday i'll choose mandy over the predator because i wasn't able to make like the thursday at seven o'clock showing mm-hmm. and i looked and it was not playing anywhere like it wasn't playing at all after that it was playing with mm-hmm. seven o'clock and that was it on a thursday and i hear well i'm gonna miss that and then i saw that on, like the same day it came out in like very limited release it hit vod For, like, I think, like six or seven dollars. And I'm like, okay, my God, this is definitely a a, a nice investment for seven bucks. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, even though I don't regret seeing The Predator, because The Predator is a cinematic in its own right, (laughs) any film that has Jacob Tremblay duct taping a Predator mask to his head is is, (laughs) definitely gets a five star review of my book. Uh, but no, that's how I kind of was introduced to this film, and I passed it on to Rob, even before we were going to talk about it for Cinemades, because I figured it was something that, uh, even though he might not like it, it would definitely pique his curiosity.
1: Yeah, yeah, so one, I would be remiss if I did not mention you brought up the poster for this movie. The poster also caught my attention. I didn't see it originally as the poster. Um, I saw it as the cover art for the soundtrack because, of course, the music forums I follow, they love Johan Johansson, and when this soundtrack leaked, they were pitching it forward. And as soon as I saw this picture, you know, like Zach said, it's a very unique color palette. Nicolas Cage in the middle, there's a triangle with Mandy atop, uh, all that stuff. The first thing I thought of, which Zach will probably not not know this, um, but this picture looks very much to me like the season six episode of adventure times title cards something big it's in the very same triangular format with like the characters from the episode you know dispersed in that triangle so two things caught my attention when i saw this picture it made me think of adventure time and it was johan johansson i downloaded the soundtrack because I'm, I'm always interested in johan johansson especially since he just passed away and you know his posthumous re- releases um The soundtrack was okay. I think the soundtrack was okay when I listened to it by itself and when I saw it with this movie, but I need to mention, when I sat down and started to watch this movie, the opening intro song, I'm sure Zach did not know it, but I knew it as soon as it started. Starless by King Crimson. King Crimson is one of the greatest bands ever. They're one of my favorites. They are an superiority to us. They're one of the fathers of progressive rock as we know it from the 50s and 60s. And as soon as this movie started, I was like, I'm going to love it. They have King Crimson as the opening music. So that's how I actually found out about this movie. Basically half through Zach, half through the music. Um, but I didn't watch it after I listened to the soundtrack until Zach told me We were going to have to talk about it. So, I think I kicked us off talking about the whole movie. Talked about the first thing that we hear. Yes. (laughs) The King Crimson song, which is awesome. Did you like the King Crimson song? Does it stand out to you? Uh, Well, it stands out because it's really the first thing that you hear
0: over the credits. Yes. And you, you, it's how you introduce to many of your your characters of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, like I said, it, it, <laughs> I think everybody now knows my taste in music. If it's not yeah. S Club, it's uh, it gets a pass from me.
1: Yeah, and uh, honestly, I would say that King Crimson is probably the exact opposite of all the music that you play when we talk about your music. <laughs> yes, it's definitely not S Club. Oh man.
0: So yeah, so. Th- Uh, i I, I don't know it's weird this movie's not that it's weird to discuss but like rob stated it is it feels like at the very least two separate films yeah the first it's a two hour long movie and the first half is very slowly methodically paced
1: it's amazing i loved the first half the first half kept me going
0: well, okay, this is the weird thing about this movie. I, I admire the first half. I love when things are take their time. I mm-hmm. hate things that are too quickly paced. I hate out-of-breath movies. Sure. Where it's sure, like, oh my yeah. god, oh my god, get to the next thing, get to the next thing, get to the next thing. Oh my god, what are we going to do? And I, I, hate the, I hate that type of editing, which is obviously very popular in blockbusters nowadays. Oh yeah. But, I th- like I said, it's obviously doing, it's still on purpose. But a couple times, it's like, oh my lord, wh- what are we doing here? It's like, we see her, like, we see Mandy... The titular Mandy reading her book, like in the uh, con- not convenience store, but like the general store. And it's like, oh my god! It's like, please. And we see them kind of just like uh, in their bedroom, which again, very interesting set where they're kind of, they they kind of sleep in a room that like where three of the corners or three of the walls are are glass. It's like yeah, glass yeah. Walls. It's
1: like a uh, it's like they're sleeping in a sunroom. Or something like that. Essentially, it's just like, what, like a mattress
0: on a floor. or it's a, it's, it's a bed that's not really high up. It's
1: very minimal. I would say their whole setup is quite minimal.
0: Yeah, and it's more or less outside of just the glass. They're almost exposed to the elements. It's, it's mm-hmm. obviously very transparent to nature. And that goes into the whole thing that he's a lumberjack. Yes. And so you watch that first half. And even though I, I admire the first half, it's really not until... I'd say at least a third of the way into the movie that I really started getting into it.
1: So is that are you, is that the point when the cult shows up? Not the cult, the pucks. As I'm watching, because I didn't really know much about this movie getting into. It. Like, I okay. knew because okay.
0: when I first heard it, because like, when the movie first came out, I heard all these things. But it's more and more like over the summer, like things get like not linked out, but you get a little bit more information that trickles my way. Sure, and it's like, oh, Nicholas Cage's wife dies, and he goes after the cult that killed them. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, this sounds like I kind of got a little disappointed because I'm like, oh, this is very derivative of Drive Angry. Yeah. And even though I love Drive Angry, it's possibly one of my favorite 3D movie experiences ever. Nice. Um, and, and But the thing about it, Drive Angry is such a campy, over-the-top film. I'm like, oh, are we going to do that but serious? Like, how do you do a Nicolas Cage revenge film? Serious. And I'm like, ugh. But there's a very specific point in this movie, which I think Rob, it's kind of like the halfway point where Rob is saying, where I'm like, okay, is when you have your cult leader who's the, uh, I at the thought of the Law and Order Connection Spotlight we're going to be doing in about 20
1: minutes. <laughs> oh, we're going to have to talk about Linus Roach. <laughs> yes, we're going to talk about Linus Roach. Is
0: where him and his cult, I don't think it's him, I think it's one of his like lieutenants, has like a magic conch shell. The
1: in Horn life. of Abraxas.
0: Yes, the Horn of Abraxas, which I think is a reference to a, uh, oh my god, what was his name? The gov- the Insane Governor. Oh my god, what was his insane? name? Je- Yes, Jesse Ventura. Rudy
1: Giuliani. <laughs> no, he was the insane <laughs> mayor. Sorry,
0: <laughs> Jesse Ventura. Jesse the Body Ventura. Oh, I think I think that's a Jesse Ventura film, like, like something of a Braxus. I think oh. it's there's a lot of references to uh, horror movies and just uh, B movies in this.
1: Okay, there's, so there's that Jesse one, I didn't know. I've never heard of that.
0: That's yeah, a word. lot of people haven't. Yeah, there's something of a It's a Jesse Ventura movie, okay. and he he like plays this conch shell, and like out of the blue not out of the blue but like these four characters just show up out of nowhere and they're very briefly in the film they maybe have a total of maybe five minutes of screen time in the entire film mm-hmm. and like it, it's much i think this is a film you could call almost like a fever dream yeah but yeah that's a good way to put it <laughs> I, think, I think there's maybe one scene in this film that feels grounded in reality other than that this, this could just be it could be take place in another dimension and they this this uh, they probably have a name I don't know what it is I've only seen this movie once this, this is one. of the, I,
1: the bikers. I don't want to call them bikers. I think it doesn't do them justice. So the people that look right look like the demons from Hellraiser. Well, that's what they are. That that's another reference. They are clearly yes. Cenobites. I got they, I got they that are one. the Cenobites. Yes, yeah, so I, I believe they're called the Black Skulls. That's oh, their okay. name. All right, that 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 sounds like a name you would give a group
0: like that. So they so they show up and I'm like cause at first I'm like wait are they riding ATVs so I, I, I'm kind of having like I'm, I'm having a weird grasp on this and I'm like I, or a very loose grasp and I'm like what is going on and then like because you see them like they're obviously lit from
1: behind mm-hmm. with like like not spotlights but like um, floodlights oh it's beautiful that's yeah. a great great shot when those they're waiting for them to show up absolutely. And you see, like, and you see their silhouettes. You're know, like, "What is going on here?" And I'm like, "Okay, I want to see a little
0: bit more of these." But I'm like, "Because that's a very thin line. Because when you introduce an element like that into a film like this, you gotta be very uh, careful. Mm-hmm. Because if you overplay your hand, it comes across as goofy. Yeah. But
2: if definitely. you don't
0: show enough of them, people get annoyed because you're teasing them with something. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, you build up the. If they ever do make a Mandy two, Mandy harder. <laughs> there's, there's no. It's really hard to pay off on something you've been building up that far. And so I'm like, okay, are they gonna show more of them? Are they just like? Because a lot of times in these kind of stupid movies, as I was, while thinking about while I was watching, it, it's like, oh, these type of characters just show up. They give our cult people some item. Then they'll mm-hmm. just, they'll just, they'll just disappear again. But no, they actually show up to Nicolas Cage and Mandy's house and capture them.
1: They yeah, they're the muscle. The cult, yeah,
0: essentially. And it's like, okay, they capture them. And again, they may be, they probably have less than five minutes of screen time. Probably even less than that. And I'm like, oh my god. And that's kind of the point in this movie where my ears perked up. And I'm like, okay, now I see why everybody has a royal heart on for this film. Okay. And, this, this is the t- and now the movie is slowly transforming into what I want it to be. Okay, okay. Because I think so- Rob, Rob likes slow and methodical. Yeah, I want gonzo visuals and in that sort of filmmaking
1: sure i'm i'm with you so the point that you're talking about i definitely see as well as where i said you know this could be two or three movies i would say it's like the first third from the first third to the first half and then the the second half i i love all the build-up all the establishment of the relationship between mandy and Nicolas cage i really liked that i really liked the cult introduction um And then, but I agree with you, Zach, when, you know, they show up, the bikers, or, you know, the Hellraiser people, and they are the muscle, and we get the whole scene, which I'm sure we're going to have to dive into more, where they drug Mandy, and he's trying to seduce her and get her into the cult. Like, that is, I loved it. That is some great, great stuff. Yeah,
0: that's, again, that's, because you have the part where they get captured, and then the movie gets really slow again. Where it's like, oh, because again, they capture her, he tries to seduce her. Uh, she, she mocks his, uh, lack of male anatomy. Oh, he, so she,
1: she mocks his small penis. Okay, Uh,
0: that's one way of saying
1: it. (laughs) She also mocks the fact that he has a, Linus Roach is the cult leader, uh, if we, if you needed to be told that after, well, we haven't talked about Linus Roach yet, Uh, but he has a great line in this scene where he's like. All the audio is distorted because, you know, everybody's on. I think Mandy's on like acid, and they stung her in the neck with a giant bug. <laughs> I have to say, Zach, bug stinging might be my least favorite thing ever. Like, I can handle needles in real life, I can handle gore. This was tough to watch this fucking bug stinging Mandy. Uh, it was, it made me cringe, I have to say. But all the audio is distorted, and Linus Roach is, like, trying to talk to Mandy while she's all fucked up on LSD. And he says something like, have you ever heard of the Carpenters? I think they're sublime, but not as good as this. And he puts on his own album.
2: Do you like the Carpenters? I think they're sensational but this is even
1: Like, that is, I, I, I fell in love with that scene. When they were going the direction I wanted them to go in, they were making this cult leader be like, he's just another loser, and he's seeking love and attention, and this is how he thinks he can get it, by drugging people and sharing his psychedelic folk music with them. And to me, at that point, it became much more grounded in reality. Like, I'm glad it didn't get more mystic and crazy, where you could really tell... That he is lying when he says, oh, I saw God and he told me I could take whatever I wanted. Like, he's just another loser. I That's probably my favorite scene in the whole movie, Zach. I loved it.
0: Well, that seems interesting because I do think it's it's probably outside of when Nicolas Cage goes and talks to Bill Duke oh, in the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the scene I feel that that's the scene in the film that's the most out of place in this. But going back to the Mandy-Linus uh, Roach scene... <laughs> Again, that is a very uh, – I think the best way to describe it is just a warped scene between the fact that she's obviously hallucinating from both the LSD and the bee sting. The yep. color palette is – is, I don't know how we're going to describe the color. But the, the poster color palettes, the blue-pink hue hues that are mixed together. You have the sound – you have the, the music playing in the background. And the scene eventually concludes with, with her just laughing hysterically at him. Yeah. Very similar to, I guess – Maybe not the best comparison, but very similar to the Shining in Room Two Three Seven, where you see that, like the woman eventually starts to deteriorate before Jack Nicholson. You have that like very uh, witch's cackle like or witch cackle ask where. Oh. Or- oh. Almost reverberate with it, and and that's yeah. when the scene ends. And then next thing we know, we go back to nicholas Cage outside. He's he's tied up. I think they have him. One well, thing I thought was clever was they actually have him tied up and gagged with barbed wire. Yes, I thought that was. I think that's a really nice touch. That's like, oh, that's a small thing that most people won't notice.
1: Mm-hmm. And then there's also some Jesus imagery in there too. The fact that uh, oh, yeah, the stab in the side and all that. Yeah, stuff. And the fact in yeah. the barbed wire, all that. Well. So before that, I don't know if it's if it's right before the Nicolas Cage we see him tied up or right after. But we after the Mandy laughing, we get another scene that I really enjoyed, where it's Linus Roach puts his face really close to a mirror and he's like about to lose it, and he's like, "Tell me what to do, tell me what to do," because he just got you know his his leadership challenged by Mandy.
2: Tell me what to do. 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 Tell me. Tell me. Tell me what to do. 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 Tell me. Tell me.
1: He's like saying, he's shaking and almost crying, going, tell me what to do, tell me what to do, tell me what to do. And he stops in the middle and he's like, you should never question yourself. And it really shows how crazy his ego is because he just switches on a dime from, oh, my God, I've been emasculated to slash and burn. I like this is the point of the movie where I was like totally enthralled with Linus Roach's character and what they were going to do next.
0: Yeah, like, I really wasn't enamored with him. I didn't think, like, the problem is, though, is that I love the mystical side of this stuff a little too much. Okay. So once you bring in the uh, the Cenobites, yeah, or, oh, okay, or, okay. or off-brand Cenobites, I'm like, I don't <laughs> care about him anymore. I'm like, he's not, like, that's the problem. Like, that's just my taste. It's not anything against the film. It's just once you sure. bring in that, that element, like, I want to know who these characters are off the corner. Again, it's the Boba Fett effect. Where it's like, I like the idea of these characters. And that's the dilemma with something like that, where how do you bring these characters back into the fold, yet keep them in a distance where they're still fun? Yeah, yeah. And that's why it's like, okay, I don't care. And that's why I did get more and more engaged with the film as it went on, because as soon as you introduce them, I do not care about Linus Roach. And plus, at that point, even at that point in the film, or maybe right before the Mandy uh, confrontation scene, mm-hmm. there's also the, the bald-headed Cultist lieutenant, and it's like, oh, is he in charge? Is Linus Roach in charge? Because it's the the lieutenant that summons the off brand Cenobites, and it's like, oh, but why wouldn't Linus Roach do that? It's like that, 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 not that it's a little disorienting, because obviously the movie makes it clear by halfway mark who's in charge. but it's like, oh, like okay, whatever.
1: Okay, I didn't, I didn't really get that sense, but. This, this might be the good time to talk about it. I'm a little biased. I really, really love Linus Roach as an actor. I don't know if Zach shares the same feelings as I do, but I absolutely think he is amazing. Whether he's actually acting or he's just playing his real cult leader self in this movie. I didn't we need to make not. that clear, too. Yes, so should we do it? Should we get onto Linus Roach? Go ahead, Rob. Okay, so Linus Roach, you might know him most famously from two things. He was ADA Michael Cutter in the last three seasons of the original Law and Order I believe maybe a little bit of season 17 as well um, and then he had a recurring role as the same part for a few episodes of vu he also was in for I think the first four seasons Vikings the History channel show King Eckbert he is the the um I don't know if, if anybody knows anything about history, but King Eckbert was the first person who was really like, I want to rule all of the Isles, like Isles of England, that type of thing. So he is much better in Vikings than he is in Law and Order. I think Law and Order is a restrictive role because it's so – the original, of course, we're talking about. It's so you know story-based rather than character-based, so there's not too much that he gets to do. But he is a great character, and I fell in love with him, watching him as King Eckbert in Vikings. So when I sat down to watch this, and the movie starts, music is playing, King Crimson comes on, and I'm like, whoa, this is awesome! And I see Linus Roach's name, all the pieces are lining up. And then I think, what was it, Monday night, Zach? Zach and I were doing some weird stuff on the internet with video games, um, and Zach made a comment basically saying that Linus Roach is a real life cult leader and I had never heard this before (laughs) but I did my research and as it turns out he's not really a leader of the entire cult but he is a very big part of a group called Enlighten Next so Enlighten Next but it's one word this is actually headed by someone named Andrew Cohen who is an established spiritual teacher that a lot of people think of as a cult leader. And it seems from everything I've gathered, Linus Roach has kind of joined forces with him. Did you do any research into this, Zach, or is is this kind of what your knowledge was? From what
0: I read, he's a cult leader. I didn't hear any of the stuff that he's a I've heard that his cult also causes some problems. It's not the worst cult. It's not the Manson's, <laughs> but it's. But I've heard it's. He's
1: into some pretty wonky stuff. So I didn't do a lot of research into the cult itself. Uh, I did watch one video of Andrew Cohen talking about student-teacher relationships. For some reason, that was that was a thing he talked about in the eighties. I did not agree with the things he said. Uh, I hope Linus Roach does not agree with the things he said think they're very belittling of the student and it should be a a proactive environment but that's a story for another time so it seems like linus roach is involved with what some may call a cult Enlighten next do your research on it folks who's 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 for us to say if it's a cult or not you know you got to see if you want to join get your um what was it the dianetics get your dianetics measured yes so yeah does that summarize linus roach pretty well zach
0: uh, I guess so. I really don't know. I didn't know much about him until this. So.
1: Okay. Well, he has apparently an eccentric lifestyle. Eccentric might be the easiest way to put it. After what we talked about, but like I said, I love him as an actor, and I just I don't know. There's something about him. I think he does it great, and in everything I've seen him in, this movie included, he probably had my favorite performance of the whole film. Well, and we'll get. We'll yes, get into he's the best playing a cult leader.
0: <laughs> no, well, no, 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 not that. But we'll, there, no, there is one definitive best performance in this film. Oh, okay, okay. And it's not by an actor. Mm. But we'll save that. We'll, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Is it by the? <laughs> God damn it! Don't give away. <laughs> like, don't give it away that, just yet. Zach's
1: gonna bleep that out. We're not at that part yet.
0: <laughs> no, we're not at that part yet. So anyway, though, Mangie rejects Linus Roach. Yes. Nicolas Cage is gagged and, and tied up with barbed wire. They put Mandy in a sleeping bag. They put her above, They tie her above a tree, above a campfire. Douse her in gasoline, and they set her on fire, and essentially let it burn till she's just a pile of ashes. Oh yeah. Well, eventually the cult leaves. Nicholas Cage is able to slip out of his barbed wire restraints. He goes over. Obviously, there's there's no saving Mandy. Mandy is essentially a pile of ash. He goes into the house. And keep in mind that while this is all going on, they were they were kidnapped or I guess uh, I don't want to call it abducted or just I guess uh, tied up while they were sleeping. So Nicholas, yeah, it, Cage was a, did,
1: it was a home invasion for sure. Yes,
0: home. Inv- they were home invaded, and <laughs> and uh, Nicholas Cage in like a long sleeve tiger T-shirt and a pair of like white underwear, like oh, tiny whiteies for sure. And so we have this very comical shot of Nicolas Cage walking, or they I, I have to be aware of it at this point, Nicolas Cage's persona. So after Mandy's dead, we see him kind of like blood soaked, or at least bloodied, walk into his house, and he's in his t shirt and tidy whities, and he like just slowly stumbles into the house and. Completely in shock. Completely in shock for the most part. And is, is the part where he goes into the bathroom before or after Cheddar
1: Goblin? After. After Cheddar Goblin. All right. Because so he, he, he goes into the house, he sees the TV, and then he passes out.
0: Okay, he passes out, and he then be, bef- – is it before he passes out or afterwards?
1: It, the Cheddar Goblin is right before he passes out. Like, right. Cheddar Goblin is the last thing he sees. And he even has like, – he, like, says something. He, like, mumbles, like, Cheddar Goblin. And then, like, <laughs> then, like falls on the floor and passes out.
0: <laughs> All right, so the best scene in the film – is a commercial on television that was filmed just for this film for macaroni and cheese and it's called cheddar goblin <laughs> it, it might be the greatest moment of uh cinematic moment of the year it is very close to the indoor raptor scene with ted levine from jurassic world dinosaur boogaloo
2: mm-hmm.
0: it, it's close like the indoor raptor just might eke it out slightly ahead because that scene is so amazingly horrible. But this is a close second, and I don't think
1: I can do this. I don't think I can describe it and do it justice. I mean, it's it's a very very unique scene. I was I did not know when I first watched this movie that it was created solely for this movie. But I once I you know researched it and found that out. I absolutely love that fact. It makes me think of Machismo from Freaked, but with with more creativity you know like the machismo was a very quick commercial and it was just a hand squeezing a can of cheese this is they made the puppet the puppet is vomiting mac and cheese on children (laughs) as they're like they're cheering for it and it's a real commercial you know they don't pull any punches it's they do things like 40 percent more cheese than the leading competitor or something like that it really is great Cheddar Cheddar Goblin! Cheddar Goblin by Devane has 60% more cheese than the next leading brand. Kids and Goblins agree, Cheddar Goblin tastes the best. That's why Cheddar Goblin was rated number one three years in a row. No that stood out to me. How can that not stand out to anybody? That was the point in this movie where I was like, "This movie has is coming at me from every level of crazy." Because I had already had the the visuals. I had already been, you know, like had the reminiscent feeling of hallucinogenics. I've had the home invasion. I've had the murder, and then they throw me this, and I was like, "That that's rounding it out." And I'm I'm sorry to say that it's really only this scene and maybe the next one. That I I was still able to latch onto, and then it started to fall apart from me. All
0: right, you uh, know I like the second half. It's kind of all downhill after Cheddar Goblin, because <laughs> like, and that's the best thing about. Like, that's where I think there is the genius of this film, where it's like, like Cheddar Goblin happens, and it's just long enough to satisfy you. Because any much longer, it starts to fall apart. Yes, and the person who we so, the. I'm surprised Rob didn't bring it up. The person that made Cheddar Goblin is the same person that made Too Many Cooks. It takes a lot to make a stew. A pinch of salt and laughter too. A scoop of cans to add the spice. A dash of love to make it nice. And you got Too Many Cooks. Too Many Cooks. Too Many Cooks. Everyone adds an extra scoop. Mix an ounce of smile so sweet, a dash of cool to add the heat, and you've got too many cooks.
1: Really? That I did not find. You my didn't pre-ster. know that? Oh my no, god! No, I guess I didn't dig deep enough. That's amazing. And it makes perfect sense. It really does. I'm thinking of the the puppetry, and I'm well. You know, of course, too many cooks. I didn't get to see through a secondhand TV screen, basically. But but I, I feel you. I I could buy that. That's awesome. That's a great connection. I think it
0: goes without saying that um, too many cooks is one of the greatest pieces of media I think in the last hundred years.
1: I, I agree with Zach there. We will probably do an entire episode on Too Many Cooks. I think the one thing I want to say about Too Many Cooks right now, don't be one of the stupid people that only watches the first two minutes. I hate that. No. I hate when people are like, oh, yeah, that's just an intro to a sitcom, and it's like you're an idiot. You're an idiot if either you didn't watch it or you didn't get it, if that's what you think it is. Anyway, <laughs> Cheddar Goblin. I love it, Zach. I love it. Ch- Ch- Cheddar Goblin, I,
0: I need I need so much more Cheddar Goblin in my world in my life.
1: Uh, I'm I have a feeling Cheddar Goblin is going to come back up when we get to talking about snacks on this episode. Am I wrong? Oh
0: my god, I love Cheddar Goblin so
1: much. <laughs> I like it's
0: funny because I forgot like, when I first showed this to or I suggest this to Rob. I kind of forgot about Cheddar Goblin. Okay, because it is such a it's like maybe what thirty seconds a minute tops. And it does. It comes out of nowhere and then just disappears again, much like our our Cenobites from earlier. They're not in the film that much. (laughs) And it's just, again, blew me away. That's a moment. It's like, what is going on?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's
0: like, what is going on? But I am digging it. And like we already stated, Too Many Cooks might be one of my favorite pieces of of media ever created. Definitely. It's amazing that whoever made Too Many Cooks, I don't know their name off the top of my head. But the fact that, God, Too Many Cooks was what, four years ago?
1: yeah oh yeah it's
0: maybe even more than four years ago maybe five but it's the whole idea that whoever made that is able to keep that consistency like that's really hard to do to keep that same level of like oh like play in that same wheelhouse you could definitely Mm -hmm. obviously uh you can feel the uh that Cheddar goblin is very easily a spiritual successor to too many cooks
1: yes he has a style he or she like we said we don't know or they uh they have a style and they know how to use it it's awesome too many cooks. Too many cooks we we will talk about in great detail at some point. Um, but the Cheddar Goblin scene, like we said, Nick Cage sees Cheddar Goblin, passes out from his wounds or from shock or from a combination of both. And then when he wakes up, that's when we get the great scene, probably my second favorite scene in the movie, Nicolas Cage in a bathroom chugging alcohol. How can you go wrong? Oh, screaming at the top of his lungs as well, sitting on a toilet. This was great. I thought this scene was just raw Nicholas Cage emotion, and I was on board. <laughs> well, I I really did not like this scene. I really? I feel
0: no. I did because I feel ah, it's, okay. it's it's Nicholas Cage leaning into the meme that he's become, and like he does, it's not his fault. Like I, I don't think it's anything against him. I think it's a scene it's like okay, we're making a, a, okay. You so see, you're you have you have this idea. You're Panos. Cosmonaut and <laughs> no, I'll say his name pa- right. Panos cosmonautos. <laughs> pa- so you're so you're panos cosmona okay, one more time. Panos cosmonaut whatever, panos cosmonaut. <laughs>
1: panos cosmictosis.
0: Uh, <laughs> Cosmotosis. So you're panos cosmatos and you sit there and you're pitching this idea to investors or whoever it is. And it's like, okay, who do you want for this? Nicholas Cage. Well, the kids love crazy Nicolas Cage, so you have to put a scene where Nicolas Cage does current trademark Nicolas Cage nonsense. Okay, and I'm like, ugh. because that, that is, like when you think of like when you tell someone about this movie, like we did, anybody who knows current Nicolas Cage Red Box versions, like, oh, where is the scene where Nicolas Cage just goes off the rails? And and this is the scene. Like you could tell this was plugged in at some point because it just. Considering how stoic he is as a character throughout the entire film, mm-hmm. this scene feels out of place. For the rest in my, in my interpretation of everything that's going on in this film and the the journey that Nicolas Cage's red goes on, a scene where he just starts screaming and just beating up a bathroom just seems out of place in the film where he watches his wife die and he just kind of sits there and he just very gingerly walks into the house and then everything else he does for the remainder of the film and how calm he is while doing that. A scene where he just
1: goes ballistic for, for three minutes just seems jarring to me. That's a fair point. I totally agree with you in the context of what he goes on to do. I would say this is the last scene in what I think is the part of the movie that I absolutely love. And I saw this scene, and I'm still looking at it from my perspective of enjoying it immensely. I'm looking at it as the tail end of—maybe uh, not tail end, but it's it's a full-fledged stage of grief. Like, I, I love the fact that he goes from shock the previous night, you know, stage of grief, which you might think of as denial, where he just is faced with the Cheddar Goblin, and uh, now I'm kind of trying to convince myself that the Cheddar Goblin is a, is, is a symbol for denial. That'd be awesome. But this was the next step. He, when he wakes up and has to realize his reality, th- uh, this is probably how I would deal with it. I'd be chugging vodka. Well, maybe not vodka, but I'd be chugging alcohol. This scene this scene felt real to me in the context of what I was buying into in the movie up to that point. I loved the fact that he was stoic and he just was in this relationship, but then it, you really get to see at this buildup, that's how much he cared about Mandy. I thought it was great, but I I took I didn't think of like I didn't think of it like you did, where with yes how he goes on to basically just be the slasher of this movie he's gets a revenge. This scene is out of place. Uh, I think that you know it's it's when he goes to see what's his name Bill Bill Duke. Um, and he starts to, like, cry a little bit there. That might have been all this needed if, it, if he wanted to just get that flow going and maybe join these two pieces of the movie together better.
0: Yeah, like, again, I, I know I'm in the minority with this opinion of mine, because I know every – any article you read or any sort of discussion that you see about this movie – the bathroom scene is the one everybody highlights. Okay, okay. That, that is the the hallmark, which I think is weird considering how odd this movie is at certain points. Yeah. If, if I had to pick any scene that I would think the majority of film critics would latch onto, I would think it would be the Man- Mandy Linus Roach scene. I think that's just the uh, – there's yeah. a lot going on for, for many reasons, between the color palette, the performances, how it's shot. Everything than the fact that, again, she rejects him. Like, I feel that's the scene that, that most people could get on board with. Yeah. Oddly enough, it's this Nicolas Cage screaming in a bathroom. Everyone's like, oh, my God, this is the greatest. <laughs> like, I, I know they're trying to. I, I, I don't know how serious it is, but I did hear stories and rumors that the whoever's behind this is trying to campaign for Nicolas Cage to get a best actor nomination from this. Oh. I I think that's insanely that, misguided yes yes like it considering is. The, considering that it costs money to rent run ads online and in like the trade papers for like uh for your consideration mm. like and, and we'll get into this later on about like what's Mandy's impact going to be later on but I just feel again I Nicholas Cage does a, I would say a serviceable, a serviceable job. It's nice to see him not be a hundred percent like meta and have him be like a pilot, like the world's gonna end. I'm going to fly the plane at the apocalypse or yeah. whatever it is. I, I appreciate that that he's not just over the top. It is more it, uh, physical acting as opposed to just reading dialogue in a comical way. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's not hard to scream and beat up a room. No, it's no, not no. hard to do. Yeah, I mean, I do it when
1: there there aren't cameras around. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Most people have screamed in an empty room before at some point in their life. Yeah, and beat it up. (laughs) And beat it up. So, I don't know. I I, I feel a lot of people are – because it's weird. Because at that point, nobody really talks about the latter half of the film. That's why I I feel I have a very weird opinion on this film. In that it's like, oh, this is the part, and much how like we discussed with Jason goes to hell, and I think Rob already kind of uh, hinted at, it becomes a a revenge slasher film at this point. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, so this is the point where it switched big time for me in terms of my interest, in terms of, you know, my disappointment, I guess, because it was... Like Zach said, it becomes a slasher film, and at this point, you know, maybe as it got into this type of of setup, and I just realized what he was going to do, the movie basically could just be like, you know, here's a maze, but it's not an interesting maze. It's just a straight fucking line. Like, he's going to go from person to person and kill them. And I was just hoping that there would be some twist or some maybe, like, difficult challenge, but no, he just— Nicholas Cage just goes on a, on a killing spree. So, Zach, I do really want to get your opinions on this second half, because I know you said you like this whole movie. There's a few things I want to point out from the first half that we didn't get to mention. Some real quick details. So, the first one, it's a quick scene. I think it's in, like, the first 20 minutes of the movie. I can't figure out if it's a dream sequence or not, but Mandy wakes up kind of early morning... Uh, you know, maybe she hears a noise or something like that, and she's like basically searching through the woods and she finds like a, a very young or maybe wounded fawn. Do you remember this scene, Zach? Yeah. okay. So the head of this fawn looks so similar to the head of the eraser head baby. Like it's oh, ridiculous shit. to me. did you Did you think of this? No, there is some stuff from the
0: first half of the movie that we delve into. Especially some of the, the very brief conversations between her and Nicholas Cage, but no, I did not pick up on the Eraserhead stuff or any so imagery. You think
1: I might have to like get these pictures, do a screenshot of both of these, and do them side by side because I haven't done that yet. But man, when I watched this movie and they showed this fawn and they show its face fairly close up, I was like, I was like, I've seen this before. That's the Eraserhead baby, but as a deer. <laughs> So I thought that was I thought that was really interesting. The other one I wanna we did touch upon it, but not this scene: the horn of Abraxas. So the magic conch or the ocarina of time, whatever you want to call it. Um, the scene where Linus Roach is laying in bed and he's talking to one of his disciples. Linus Roach says, "Do you have the horn of Abraxas?" And the camera completely switches perspectives. And it just shows like the two hands, the person with the with the little conch and Linus Roach's hand, and it's like them very slowly touching their hands together. But the entire color palette of the shot starts like strobing a green light. So I had to watch this scene a few times because I was confused at first what was going on. Linus Roach says, "Do you have the horn of Abraxas?" And the visuals when he when the other guy pulls out the horn is like a strobing green light. And so I, I think there there should be a great blooper in this movie where Linus Roach is laying on the bed going, do you have the horn of Abraxas? And then the guy pulls it out and there's all these flashing lights and Linus Roach goes, I need it for tonight's rave. <laughs> I thought it was so, Did it's really quick. It's like two seconds of strobing and a camera switch. Did you notice that at all? Uh no, I, I, I don't remember that. It really stood out to me. Like, it just, the, it, it's so jarring, I thought. It, it caught my attention because I was like, I was like, what the hell is happening? We're in a rave now. But it's just the introduction of this horn passing between characters. It's a whole, its own shot, its own color palette, its own lighting. It's It was really, really interesting to see that. And of course, the horn only makes one appearance in the rest of the movie. <laughs> Did I mention the bug stinging, Zach? That is my yes. least favorite thing ever? Okay, I'm going to say that again because I'm getting chills thinking about it right now. That's some nasty, nasty stuff. I don't want to see that in a movie again, Zach, bug stinging. <laughs>
0: Rob, have you ever gotten a high from a bug sting before? No. Not that I'm aware of. Intentionally or
1: unintentionally? Of. Not that I'm aware of, I should say.
0: The kids aren't doing that at the concerts and the raves. They aren't. They get little bees and vials and sting each other with them. <laughs>
1: If I saw that, I would go into, like, full adult mode and scold people. <laughs> like, like that's one thing I will go out of my way to get involved in people's business. Because no one should be stinging themselves with bugs. That's insane. That is absolute insanity to me. To be honest, to answer your question, Zach, I've never heard of that in any of my circles in America. People getting high off bug stings. That would be, that's... That is batshit insane. Don't do that, kids. Don't do that. <laughs> have you done no, it, Zach? Yeah. Not recently. Not Oh, not recently. That was back when I moved away from Zach. He went through a bug stinging phase to, to try and cope. Haven't we all been through that bug stinging phase before? I think it's all part <laughs> of growing up. <laughs> so the one other thing I have in the first half, Zach, which is a really quick mention. I just caught it offhand, offhandedly while I was listening to King Crimson. Elijah Wood is listed as a producer, an executive producer on this movie. Did you notice that? Yeah. Is that the Elijah Wood that we know, or is that just someone with the same name as Elijah no, Wood? That's,
0: uh, no, that's the Elijah Wood of uh, Lord of the Rings fame, oh, the child
1: actor. Right on, right on. Okay, well, he uh, he's producing this movie. I, I was very interested to see that. Not as interested as I was to see Kathleen Kennedy on Gremlins 2, but still pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's as good as that. Okay, Zach, um, that was it. That's what I wanted to point out. Literally, the next note in all of my notes, the last note I had was the Nicolas Cage scene in the bathroom, which we discussed. The next note I have is from the last scene of the movie when Linus Roach comes back. I have no notes in between. So, Zach, the floor is yours. What can you possibly say about the most linear story ever in the second hour of this movie? Go for it. (laughs) No, but going just one last thing about the first half of the Oh, film. Sure, another, sure,
0: Another reference to another uh, horror film, or whatever you want to call it, was when Mandy's telling Nicolas Cage about, like, what was it, the father and the starlings? Yes, yes. Well, that's clearly a reference to Silence of the Lambs, between the whole fact of uh, Jodie Foster's character was Clarice Starling. And it's very similar to her whole thing about the, with her and Hannibal actor, the 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 crying of the lambs before going to slaughter. Very, very similar... Story about childhood, definitely and the, the animals. Yes, there's there's a lot of hints and nods. I think I think Rob brought up before the fact that Camp Crystal Lake is mentioned. Oh yeah, she, yeah. Grew, she grew up near a Crystal Lake.
1: Yep. So we got the Eraserhead baby. We got Friday the Thirteenth. We got Silence, Silence of, the, of Lambs. the Lambs. We With have a mention. Razor. A Hellraiser, we have a mention of Galactus from the Marvel Universe by Nicholas Cage in the first half of the movie. <laughs> there's also, uh... Because, the, because, you know, the second, uh, Rise of the Silver Surfer, was a horror movie, right? <laughs> I think so.
0: <laughs> so, I know there's also in the, when they're sitting down watching dinner, they're watching, like, the B-movie on TV. Oh! Which is a, which I, is didn't,
1: a, I, I didn't know the B-movie, but I could tell it was one of the old, you know, bad sci-fi movies. I yeah, mean,
0: it's it's a it's a Don Doller film. I, I don't know the specific one, though, mm.
1: but Don Doller
0: did a lot of like we like rednecks in the woods killing aliens or going after aliens in the woods. That was kind of his uh, mo of making films. He, he's a schlock filmmaker that really didn't have much success. So, but no, that's kind of there's a bunch of stuff like if you know your your horror films. There's probably stuff that even I didn't pick up on that's probably sprinkled it in there.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm interested in now. Is like how many references are actually like why haven't I seen a, a damn Buzzfeed article about all the easter eggs in this movie. Is it not popular enough? I, I, I don't think it's mainstream enough. This this, okay, is, this okay. is this is by design, not a mainstream film. The kids aren't lining up to sit there and get this from iTunes. So we should have we should have like put the effort in to get all these references. We'd be the only people with this list. Oh man, we missed an opportunity. I know. <laughs>
0: but, no, but, but I think that's that's the misguided. going back to the thing about like they try to campaign for Nicolas Cage for like a best acting Oscar. Like even even if they spend like a dime on that, it's it's wasted money. They should be pumping. Considering what time of year this is, and how kind of the like this this long this film's gonna have a long lifespan. Like it's not just gonna disappear come Mm -hmm. November first. But considering this film's been in the ether now since like middle September, and how it really did not get any sort of like major traction outside of the the circles that would have glommed onto it anyway. Yeah. Like, I, because I, funny, this, this, uh, Halloween ish season, the only really horror film that's coming out is Halloween. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, you're
0: right. I guess there's things like Goosebumps 2, Bump Harder, <laughs> or, uh, The House with the Clock in Its Walls, which is essentially Goosebumps 1.5. Oh,
1: yeah, that looks terrible.
0: <laughs> it's goosebumps. It, it's a goosebumps movie without the Jack Black's in it. I'm pretty sure he's R.L. Stein too. But they, I think instead of like R.L. Stein, he's like B.W. Steel or something. T.S. <laughs> T-
1: <T. S>. Eliot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> oh god. Uh, but no, I think it's really weird that they did not try. I, maybe they don't, have, they don't have any budget, like marketing money. I'm guessing mm-hmm. they just kind of like we're going to dump all the money into the, the production budget and just kind of hope that this film gets picked up. Through word of mouth Yeah yeah, could be But it's weird they they did not I I can't imagine there's not a film distributor out there That would watch this At Sundance And be like hmm This Halloween season the only R rated film we got Coming out is Halloween Which is going to make money whether it's good or not And really The only other horror film that was rated R This season was I think it was called Hellfest Which was kind of like a generic slasher film that came out in the end of September, so I think it's really weird that they didn't. And also that Halloween's not coming out till the end of October. Put this out in in about like I don't know, like twelve hundred screens, and like the same weekend as Venom, and just yeah. sit there and say, just see what happens. It's like there's gotta be a, a, some I don't know, maybe like uh, probably not Universal because Universal's doing Halloween, but there's gotta be a, a film distributor out there that would have taken a chance on this.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I'm. Um, um- Interested to know why they didn't with how much I've kind of at least how much I heard about this movie from my music forums and people just, you know, sharing the, the soundtrack. I would imagine that this would have been fairly successful if it had a wide release.
0: Well, well because, it's weird, because in Hollywood's a weird thing. It's kind of like a Rubik's Cube, because I think also with video on demand, they probably have to keep a lot more money for themselves
2: mm-hmm. by releasing it
0: through a studio. That's a weird one. Where it's like, OK, it's good. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I don't know how that that's, works. Yeah, that's a 100%. fair point. That's a fair point. But a movie like this is feels like a John Wick to me, which I think the second half of this definitely has a lot in common with a John Wick. Oh yeah, I think I think that's another another reference, but it's more broad because <laughs> you you have that you have that revenge element though, but you have a very wonky protagonist.
2: Hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: and I do think that even though Keanu Reeves isn't as over the top as Nicolas Cage is now they are definitely within the same I'd say the same spheres in the sense you have this actor that I don't want to call Keanu Reeves a schlock actor but he does have this uh, notoriety for overacting
1: sometimes oh definitely yeah uh, they have their own unique personalities that shine through in their performances but no one's faulting them for it <laughs> they're just no. trying to utilize them in an appropriate way
0: Exactly, it's kind of like the the, the old trap. I think I've mentioned like the Kevin Spacey thing, where it's like Kevin Spacey was really great at playing Kate. Kevin Spacey,
2: mm-hmm. and that was kind of
0: it. He didn't know how to do anything else anymore.
2: <laughs>
0: and I, and that's why I think this this could have been with the proper marketing and push, and maybe a lot of it too is just capturing the zeitgeist at the right time. Yeah, like even like some something like John Wick, even is having a hard. You know, John Wick is making more and more money each time they made one of those films. I think the next one's coming out during Memorial Day. Ooh. i feel you could you could make mandy or i'm not mandy but i guess nicholas cage's red a john wick of its own world in the sense of like not to say that he's a demon hunter because it, the thing that terrifies me is that this thing makes money and they announce a sequel called like red colon demon hunter yeah like yeah. that's like oh my god it's like, that's how you drive this sort of thing into the ground but as I was watching this and, this, and this all ties into the second half of the film, is that that's the vibe I was getting from this. Where okay. John Wick, I think, got Obviously, John Wick and this are two very different films. Mm-hmm. John Wick, obviously, is much more of a uh, broad, uh, broad appealing film. Yeah. Where this is not. This film definitely n- knows its audience, much like how we discussed before we started recording. It's much like the HAL 9000 ornament. Only a specific segment of the population wants this item, but oh, it knows yeah. how to cater to that audience 110%. <laughs> and but that's why I kind of feel that the first half of the film, even though I admire it on an artistic level, mm-hmm. you should have condensed that to the maybe 20-30 minutes. You get introduced to Mandy, you have all this stuff, and you have the last 90 minutes, or not even this film should also show up in 90 minutes. You could, even though I again, I admire a lot what's going on. You can, you you should have condensed a lot of it. Yes, because I, like Rob said, you watch the first hour of it and you're like, okay, I've seen enough, and you start to tune out. And I feel it's kind of like what happens during John Wick. Like you watch, they kill John Wick's dog, and about three quarters of the way through John Wick, you're like, okay, enough. (laughs) <laughs> it's like I want to see, there's only so many times I can see him get captured, escape yeah. from being captured, be on top, uh, lose his footing, be back on top, lose his footing. And this falls into that trap. That's where I think that even though this is a very, very good film,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I don't think it's any, it's not going to be a, oh God, um, like an evil dead. Like, I definitely see, I think there's a lot of yeah. evil deadness to the fact that Nicholas Cage does get pretty beat up by the end of this.
1: Oh, sure, sure.
0: And I don't know because I don't think Red as a character is as fleshed out as a Bruce Campbell in an Evil Dead is, or a John Wick in a John Wick film is. Yeah, like, I I agree. Like, even though we have Nicolas Cage scream, like, that's the thing. That's my problem with the, the the Nicolas Cage screaming in the bathroom, dumping vodka on his wounds, is that that's cute to watch, mm-hmm. but it does not add anything to his character. He's a he's yeah. a grieving widow. Okay. Having him see a picture of his wife, or him and his wife together after she's been murdered, does as much dramatic effect as watching him scream and destroy a bathroom does. Okay, okay, and you and that's what I mean. About. You condense, condense. Be again, it's like anything. Uh, be efficient. Condense, 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 because you can get a lot of mileage out of less time being spent. And that's and that's why I feel the Nicolas Cage stuff going nuts is just leaning into. His per- current persona, but that's okay, but we, okay. We've delved into that enough already. But no, so the latter half of the film, he goes to what's his name, Bill Duke. Uh, Bill Duke, and to get his go-
1: crossbow,
0: <laughs> He gets his crossbow, which has a really cool name, like the the Mother Effer or uh, the Reaper. It's called the, Reaper, the Reaper,
1: yeah.
0: And Bill Duke gives him like special uh, arrows mm-hmm. that can like like penetrate like s- bones. Oh sure, the tent safe. Nothing could ever penetrate the nylon. Who could get through it? It's like, and again, it's also that's a weird thing with this film, though. This film is a hodgepodge of different elements because Bill Duke is like, you know, your chance to survival are next to none, yeah. and, and it's like, oh, okay, it's like one of those feels like it's something that you would see like in a Schwarzenegger film or a Stallone film, like you have no chance of surviving, and it's like, watch me. I did not
1: like that scene, except for the line where Bill Duke is like, "What are you hunting?" and Nicolas Cage goes, "Jesus freaks!"
2: (laughs) So what you hunting?
0: Jesus freaks.
2: (laughs) I didn't know they were in
0: season, man. Yeah, well... Just tell me, man. lit her on fire! That scene, I think, is the most out of place out of any scene in this film. Because it's weird, because the color palette changes. Yeah, it's it's like natural
1: light, almost.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if if maybe, if this is successful. I would imagine any film today that has a high-profile actor, it is as pulpy as this, has to be thinking, okay, what's the contingency if this does well? Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Bill Duke will be the like the, the Nick Fury of this world, maybe. <laughs> I, I don't know. Considering that's funny, I would imagine every any film now that's made in Hollywood, someone goes, Okay, who's gonna be the Nick Fury of this? Yeah. Who yeah. who's gonna show up at the end of this movie or at some point and tell our main character, you just entered a larger universe? Yep. Uh, and and so I don't know. That seems seems out of place. But again, he need but the problem though is that right after that scene, we see him forging his own like Klingon war axe. Yeah. <laughs> so oh that, yeah. So other than the fact that they can't, that they, I guess they were able to. I think it's cool seeing Bill Duke, considering that he is a a staple of '80s action films. Mm-hmm. I think it's cool to see him in a film that's definitely an homage to those sort of uh, films of that era. Like, I, like don't get me wrong. I'd love to see more of Bill Duke in anything, especially things like this. You don't you don't need him or you should what you should they should have done was condense his scene with the forging of the blade scene into mm-hmm. one have nicholas cage go into a i don't know smelting plant or whatever very similar to the i can't believe i'm referencing this in a positive light <laughs> but something like the infinity war thor and oh God! Oh but like God. no, but you can. You don't make it into a thirty-minute subplot. You condense it into like five minutes, where Nicholas Cage, yeah. you see, you see Nicholas Cage wander into Bill Duke's steel forge in his tidy whities in, in tiger T-shirt, <laughs> and Bill Duke's like, "What what the hell happened to you?" And you 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 tie all these things in together, where it's like, "I need my Reaper back," and he's like, "What are you hunting, Jesus freaks?" And he's like, uh, "You're going to need something a little bit bigger than that. Or you're going to yep. need something a little bit more." Uh, primal, or, look, you're, or you're going to need something more biblical than, than a, a bow a bow rifle.
1: That's exactly that's, what I was thinking. Yeah, that would have been th- perfect.
0: Exactly. And that's why, and I think I've said it before, there are people out there getting paid thousands of dollars for this. We're a bunch of schmucks on a Thursday night, or, or a bunch of schmucks on a Wednesday night, God change, at <laughs> the fan recording. <laughs> and yet we're able to outthink the movie. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's the, like I said, I enjoyed this movie. I do not, I, again, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a cult classic. I think it's already gained that, but I nev- know like, it's funny. Like, Evil dead now is right on the verge of being, or going from a cult classic to being a mainstream classic. Okay. And, th- and I find that bizarre. And that, that film is slowly passing over into the mainstream. Hmm. I, think I, I don't know if I've referenced it here before, but I think it's so weird that you see a – I think it was that, that Vanessa Hudgens movie where Vanessa yeah, Hudgens like a yeah. super-duper fan of Evil Dead 2. And I just – that's so weird to me. <laughs> and, but I, I don't think Mandy will ever get to that level because you do have certain elements that – the fact that you have a woman set on fire by a man –
1: Okay.
0: I, I don't think you're ever I, I think that's a no-no. I think you, you never get something like that's never gonna pass into the mainstream because so we're never gonna be able to allow something like that happening. Even though she she uh, uh, emasculates him mm-hmm. by say by by mocking his manhood. I don't know. Like that that's the weird thing with Mandy is that Mandy is is a hodgepodge of popular elements just put into a pot. It's kinda like my hamburger pretzel dilemma, yeah. but it does it all right. It's like, oh, what goes good with like a pretzel? Salt. What goes good with salt? Cheese. What goes well with cheese? Uh, you can put I, I don't know, it goes so on and so forth though. But yeah. It's like, oh, you can put cheese in the pretzel. Okay, what goes good with that too? Oh, you can have a little bit of something else on the side. you can have a little bit of relish to dip it in. Oh, okay. It gets all it gets the, the pretzel conundrum right. Okay. But it does it in the most basic way possible. Or, yeah, that's
1: that's where I think my problem lies, that it's so simplistic.
0: But I think with something like – because that's the weird thing that's happening right now is that I guess it's like anything, though. Like, you watch the Evil Dead movies, and those films are derivative of what came before them. Like, you have a bunch of people in the cabin in the woods, and, like, you could say the original Evil Dead is a hodgepodge between The Exorcist and, like, Last House on the Left or just any – cabin movie where people are stranded in the middle of nowhere okay okay and i think that's how you eventually do get things they're a little bit more high concept where again who would have thought to be a day where someone says jason goes to hell is high concept <laughs> but where you do get something that has all these different elements that are thrown together and they work i think we're at a point now in the culture where things are transitioning i think things like freddy krueger jason Voorhees are dying and yet you're seeing things again uh, Mandy is almost like a remake of, I'd say like, like an evil dead, but mm-hmm. it's a remake. Th- it's a thematic remake. Okay. In the sense of you have a sole protagonist that's been stripped of everything and he's now not taking any more nonsense and whether he gets beat up or beat to hell or he gets killed, he's going to exact revenge on this force of evil that brought him this misery. Yeah. And I think if you are going to instead of making another Nightmare on Elm Street remake or another Friday the Thirteenth or another Evil Dead, mm-hmm. this is what you are making a Ash versus the Evil Dead. This is what you need to do. You need to do thematic remakes. You need to take these these themes and repackage
1: them in a slick new wrapper. Yeah, that's you're so right. I've never really thought about it. I think it's been established this month over that Zach is. Um, Zach is putting more analysis into the horror genre than I ever have, and I think I might be able to. But no, you're absolutely right. I'm I'm right on board with you that I don't want to see the same nonsense I've seen before. That was my complaint at the start of Jason Goes to Hell. I was upset that it might be the same recipe that it's always been. Same thing that you're saying. Don't repackage the movie. Repackage the theme. And and put that twist on it. Put the twist on it that comes from your perspective. You know, these things don't have to be complete remakes. They can be, you know, reimaginings or re-inspirations or something like that. Totally agree with you, Zach. That's what we that would make every genre of movies better.
0: <laughs> well that's and that's kind of what I'm hoping things like not to get into Star Wars, but it's like that's what I'm hoping what happens with a lot of these franchises is that they realize that, like, okay... Like, I used to always say that if you're going to sit there and do something like The Force Awakens or anything mm-hmm. like that, it's like, you have to let the iconography do the heavy lifting. Yes. And I think after a while, you're going to burn through the iconography. It's like, okay, you can't just have X-Wings and TIE Fighters all the time, but it becomes stale. Yet, so what you have to do is take th- what made these things popular through absolute core. It's like, Star Wars isn't popular because of X-Wings. Star, And that's what Jordan... George- think about Star Wars itself is a the constant the like george lucas took from joseph campbell the hero's journey it is repackaged you have it's kind of like the old the old saying there's only about 10 good stories in the history of mankind Mm -hmm. and just repackaging them differently each time (laughs) and i I think mandy's a perfect example of that even though I, i don't think mandy's gonna be anyone's favorite horror film i don't think there's anybody that comes out of mandy and says all right this is my new exorcist Mm-hmm. Or this is my new uh, Halloween, sure. or whatever, or Psycho. But I think this is how you get new things. Somebody, there'll be some seventeen-year-old kid that will watch this on his laptop. and ten years from now, he will be making the next. I'm trying to think of a good horror, like the, like, like a Jordan Peele. He'll be making so. No, I'm not thrilled with Get Out. I I I didn't dislike Get Out, but I think at it least it's a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. It's like, and that's why I'm a little disappointed with him too. That he's like, oh, he's doing the Twilight Zone remake or Twilight Zone, or whatever you want to call it, reboot. Yeah, and it's like Jordan Peele, you have so much freaking capital right now or creative capital. Like, I'd be so much more thrilled that instead of calling it like Jordan Peele's The Twilight Zone, just call it like Jordan Peele's Macabre Hour. Yeah, yeah. It's
1: yeah, like, absolutely. like just do
0: something new. Like, like you have creative clout from a from a wholly new project. Do something different with it. And that's why, even though Mandy is derivative, it's not Friday the Thirteenth presents Mandy yeah. or a Nightmare on or Ash, or Ash versus Mandy or mm-hmm. and, and that's what it is. And that's kind of the the ultimate uh, the catch twenty two with Hollywood is that you let's say Mandy is popular, we'll get a sequel to Mandy called Mandy Two: Mandy Strikes Back. Yeah, that's the problem with a lot of these films, and that's why I don't know. But like, that's the weird dilemma with something like this, where it's like, oh. We celebrate these projects because they're original or mm-hmm. in the sense they're not tied to an existing property. Yet, if they become successful, they will become a franchise and they will become the very thing. The reason why they'll become the thing that we were trying to not celebrate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's and that's my you know, I love man the second half of Mandy for that reason, where he does go on this killing spree. So mm-hmm. I don't want to give too much away. I don't want to do a breakdown of how he he wipes out each of these groups. But I do think like the scene where he gets he he kills the one uh, cent- uh, off-brand Cenobite on the dirt mm. bike on the ATV and he gets captured. Yes, and they have him tied up in the uh, bathroom or wherever it is where the ones like tinkering or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And that scene is very clearly saw. Oh, he's, oh, yeah. He, he's chained up with one hand, has to figure a way out. It's like oh, and plus it's like a dirty, grimy-looking bathroom with tile and stuff. Like oh, that that's clearly saw. That's the inspiration. <laughs> <for this. laughs> yep. And, and I got no problem with that. As long as you don't see a jigsaw puppet in the corner somewhere, it's like, fine. If you, if you want to borrow from these things, that's fine with me. Yeah. But, yeah. but that's what I like about this though. Cause I could, it, everybody, I remember excited in the for this month, this October, I've been reading a book called slash of the Titans, the road to making Freddie versus Jason.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And one of the final chapters of that book is how they were trying to make Freddie versus Jason versus Ash. And, even though that's a really clever concept and i would have loved to have seen that happen sure it's like as i was watching this i'm like oh nicholas cage's red could very easily considering that bruce campbell claims that he's now retired from ever playing ash again mm-hmm. i think it could very easily change depending on how many zeros are in a check that are handed to bruce campbell <laughs> oh <Yo>, yeah <laughs> like, like if somebody goes to bruce campbell and says like we'll give you uh six million dollars to play ash again, he's not going to say no yeah, again, oh, he, Like, again, he's not going to say no as long as he can physically do it. And plus, he can he has fun doing it. That's a lot. Uh, people have to realize that a lot of these actors they pick roles depending on how much fun they can
1: have. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: but no, I can very easily see a you. Un- I, I, let's say, for example, that I'm trying to think. Who owns it? Now? The new it. The new it's really popular. Whoever the new it is, the not the not Tim Curry it. Oh,
1: Pennywise. what is it? Someone. Someone guard is the actor.
0: Yeah, guard Yeah. I could very easily see a world where if Mandy became insanely popular, where someone goes, let's have uh, Nicolas Cage's Red come and fight Pennywise.
1: Oh, that would be terrible. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I don't – well, I'm not – the problem, though, is that I don't have a problem with that as a concept.
1: Okay. It's the matter of Execution. Yeah. Like as,
0: cause, cause, cause I don't want to dive into because like Rob said, so the most interesting part of this movie is the first half. Even though I enjoy the second half more, it's on a much more visceral level. Yeah, so but- I don't want like I said, like you can predict how the movie ends. We'll just say Nicolas Cage doesn't die. He gets revenge. <laughs> he gets revenge. And one of the final, like, I think one of the best scenes in the movie, it's the very end where he gets into the car and he gives this great, like uh, 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 what would be the term, like a shit-eating grin into oh the camera. God. Oh, the yeah. Camera's, the camera's in the passenger side window and he has this great grin as he just basically drives into the abyss. And that's, and that's kind of how the movie ends, more or less. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of thing where it's open-ended. He's clearly in this world now. Red is a... We're not. We're not told what Red's done before this. He's just a lumberjack.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
0: we don't know what world he's in. Obviously, other than the '80s. Like, think about it. If you're, if this movie was popular, and that's the caveat. We don't know how this movie's doing. But we don't know. There's no because concerning that it had basically no box office release. We other than the the only people who know how much money this movie's made on uh, video rentals are the producers. Yeah. Like, it's, uh, who do we tweet to, Rob? Do we tweet to Elijah Wood to ask
1: how much money they've made on this movie so far? I don't know. I feel like if we could light a fire under Nicolas Cage, he would he would try and find out for us.
0: <laughs> no, Nicholas Cage at this point is too busy paying back the IRS.
1: <laughs> How much money do you have to pay I- uh,
0: Nicholas Cage to get to the IRS to sit there and answer that? But no, it's like I could very easily – I can imagine there's an executive somewhere right now saying – "I m- picking up the phone saying, I wonder if we could have Red in the uh, – like have a – It is Warner Brothers. So, in all honesty, we can have a Pennywise versus Jason versus a Freddy, and you have Red who has to come in, sit there, deal with them all. Yeah. It's like, like, even though I know crossovers aren't that big anymore, it's weirdly enough, I think Batman versus Superman killed the crossover film (laughs) or or the Versus film. I guess the Versus film.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: It's funny, we got two Alien versus Predator films. Yeah, it took the $300 million dc film to kill crossover films <laughs> that's a good But point. I, 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 I don't know though like could they could very easily do that they could bring him into this world like i know at one point when they were making the dark tower with idris elba they were trying to make a stephen king cinematic universe oh oh <laughs> which but no but like again i think it goes to execution it's like you yes t- like, yes it's, it's like Jason goes to hell again It's like, okay, I, I tell Rob like Rob has the basic concept of what a Friday the 13th film is mm-hmm. A bunch of kids go into the woods To, to do drugs and have sex and, <laughs> and a guy in a hockey mess Comes and kills them like, that's a Friday the 13th film. You, you can pitch it in one sentence. Yeah. You, you pitch Jason Goes to Hell, and you're like, oh, Jason dies in the first five minutes. The coroner eats his heart, and he transforms a different body. So eventually he turns into the eraser head baby and goes into a woman's hoo-ha, and he gets reborn. It's like, oh my, it's like, that is schlock. When you say it like that, that is 100% pure schlock. <laughs> Yet, if done right, it works. Yep, oh yeah. And that's what my thing, though, is that like, oh things like mandy are great like sequels are not inherently bad it's just a problem though is that it's like okay we need to get a sequel out as fast as we can to capitalize on the success of the first one Mm -hmm. so how do we rush this like i don't know like will Nicolas cage sign on to a mandy
1: 2 day of the mandy who knows yeah I, i that is it's gonna take time to see since this movie's so recent right yeah, but like that's yeah. it's
0: it's kind of like what happened with again. I'm using John Wick as a template for Mandy mm-hmm. because John Wick came out I think in October of 2014, and I think within like three months they greenlit a sequel. Okay, and it was like okay. everyone was kind of, everyone was kind of like like because it, John Wick just barely I think broke even at the box office when it first came out, mm-hmm. but it had like insane positive
1: reactions. Yeah, I remember hearing and, about it.
0: And, and so I remember I didn't see it until it came out on Blu-ray and I feel that's what's going to happen with Mandy. And I think the weird thing with Mandy was Mandy should like I guess a lot of people don't realize this, like a lot of your most popular horror films, most of them don't come out around Halloween. Most of them come out during like the winter, like February, Yeah. because yeah. what happens is that people will go see these movies because there's nothing coming out in February. Well, things have changed and now that we have black panther and deadpool <laughs> and ready player one now that blockbusters now come out every single time of the year there's no yeah. such thing as partitions in the release calendar but you could release a mandy in february it makes like mandy costs i think 1.2 million okay so let's just say it gets released by a a, a studio So let's say it makes, it costs 1.2, let's say they pump $10 million worth of marketing into it. But let's just say it makes 30 million worldwide, by no means a great success, but it's profitable. But guess what? It comes out on Blu-ray in like July, and then by Halloween time, everybody's talking about it. It's like, oh man, did you see Mandy? And you build hype that way. Yeah. And that's – it's kind of like what happens with like uh, like Blockbuster. It's kind of like – not to bring it back to Star Wars though. But the reason why Star Wars films came out in May was so you could have the initial batch of toys come out for the movie. But then when the DVD comes out in November, guess what? You can sell a bunch of toys then with the movie that just came out on DVD. Yeah. It's more of an incentive for people to be buying and getting engaged with it. Yeah. And I feel with releasing these films in like September, it's like, oh – like that's the reason why you see things like paranormal paranormal uh, paranormal activity seven curse of the webcam because <laughs> the movie costs like fifty bucks to make. it makes seventy million. So there is no like any sort of uh, money from blu ray uh, rental sales, or I mean, like digital rental. It's just icing on the cake.
1: absolutely.
0: so i, I again, I, I don't know whose idea was it with Mandy. It's like, oh, like it's clearly a pulpy horror film. Like I can't imagine anybody actually considering Nicholas Cage for a Best Actor nomination for this.
1: Yeah, that's crazy.
0: So like, that's the weird thing with Mandy, though. It's, like Mandy's sort of like like Amanda, uh, Mandy is very much trying to play the same cards as films before it has. Mm-hmm. Yet it's released in a very peculiar way.
1: Yeah, yeah. That you you make a good point. Um, I think uh, you know this is. This is great because this is something that I I I would never have thought about, and I honestly wouldn't have had the knowledge about. Because you know, when I just when Zach's like, "Hey, check this movie out," I just watch it. You know, the the release schedule and stuff isn't uh too much of or in my field of vision. So, do you know by any chance how many theaters this did get released to? In September. I'd say maybe
0: tops eight hundred tops.
1: Wow! Wow! Okay, uh, which, yeah, which but just,
0: is good. Which is good for something like this. Like oh, like, oh sure sure. But I, I'd say tops. I think I think it was like one of those things where uh, like a fathom events. It's like oh one night only. Oh, which, which, okay. I think that's what, it. Was very. I, I think certain other things like there's like Alamo Draft House, the uh, small special, not special, but like more specialty theater chains. They yeah. might have done something with it. But like when it comes, considering that most people go to an AMC or a Regal,
2: mm-hmm.
0: unless mm-hmm. you either knew this was coming out on a Thursday, that specific Thursday, or you just stumbled into the theater and were like, "Hmm, that looks interesting." <laughs> the, the title, Mandy. What could that be about? Like, there's no poster in the lobby for Mandy that yeah. that evening. So I don't know. It's like I, I'm guessing 800. Okay, maybe okay. I'm gonna look into that right now. But I don't think it's uh. It's anything, it, sure. if it's even above that, if it's even that, I'd be shocked at.
1: Okay. Yeah, you make a good point about the title. I think I joked to Zach before we recorded that I wanted, I thought Mandy was going to be a biopic about Mandy Patinkin. <laughs> it was not. Um, the other thing I thought of is that Mandy, someone could think that Mandy is like, I don't know, the continuation of the grim adventures of Billy and Mandy. You remember that show?
0: Oh my God.
1: Like maybe Billy dies because Grim kills him. Like their their deal- I don't know if Zach remembers the Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, but they, they like, beat him in a game, and so he has to be their servant for, like, however many years. Maybe, like, yes. the deal wears off, and then he kills Billy, and it's just Mandy seeking revenge. <laughs> well, okay, no. I, looked,
0: I, looked on, I looked on Box Office Mojo. Mandy on that Thursday, mm-hmm. it was September 13th, 2018. It was released in 250 theaters. Wow. And it, and it grossed $131,000. Wait, so we saying, yeah. One hundred
1: thirty-one thousand dollars. Man, so, okay, so, so it was
0: small. It was small, yeah, very, very limited.
1: Hot damn! Hot damn! Well, I'm uh, glad we got some good copies of it.
0: <laughs> well, it's and cause it, cause, VOD, yeah,
1: yeah, because it got released VOD, which I know that's the uh,
0: the super duper popular thing nowadays. Because again, I think that's what it is. Cause I think they a lot of them just conceded. Like oh, this is not going to make any money, I mean, and like it, unless you're the Avengers or Star Wars, yeah. you're not going to make any money in the theater anymore. So let's just and again, at least it got a theatrical release. So at least if you wanted to see it on the big screen, you had that option. Okay, but again, I, I would imagine it's only a matter of time till it shows up on either Netflix
1: or Hulu. Yeah, that's a good point. It's going to pop up on or Amazon Prime. Sure, yeah, one of the one of the major streaming services. Absolutely, no, you're you're right. Um. If you can find it, anybody out there, check it out. Even though it's got a small release, um, you know, Zach's given a full recommendation. I'm doing the late-night movie recommendation. Um, with what you said about how limited it is, you know, that, that that's intriguing to me. You know, I like when movies kind of get a small release, especially for one that's as unique as this.
0: Yeah, because it says it's grossed $1.1 million in the whole U.S., but the weird thing though is that it's only it seems to only be playing on weekends. Oh. Like if you look if you look at the daily, like I've never really seen this before. It makes sense. But if you look on the like the, uh, the the daily charts for this on box office mojo, it played September 13th for that one night. And okay. then uh, September 28th, 29th, and 30th. Wow. Then didn't, didn't play again until October 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then it played again October 12th, 13th, and 14th. And yet, it's worth noting, though, is that uh, the second weekend in September it came out, it played in sixty-four theaters. Then for the third weekend, which is the first weekend of October, it did. Um, it only played in forty-one theaters. Mm, okay, but but it's it's not dropping horribly. Like it's dropping around thirty percent each each weekend it's out because it's losing theaters. Yep. So I'm guessing it must be specialty chains like I think about 30, 40 theaters. Part of those are Alamo, I bet. Mm-hmm. And other ones are probably just other specialty chains that are probably just agreeing to do it because they figured they probably just support a film like this and figured it will
1: bring people out of the woodwork. Like yeah, unit's. yeah. Little art house theaters in, in like college towns, stuff like that. Yeah, I, stuff like I'm that. Thinking of one, I'm thinking of one that I saw a bunch of David Lynch movies at that would have probably been playing this uh, back in September. Sure.
0: Yeah. Like the budget is 1.2 million. If it's already grossed 1.1 million, it'll get some more mileage throughout the month of October. Mm-hmm. Uh, so no, it'll probably all said and done. Probably get if it's lucky, maybe to 1.5 million if it's lucky. So it might. So it's it's theatrical thing might cover its production budget because I know there's no marketing cost. It's not being. It's probably just. It's probably the distributor. It says it's an RLJ Entertainment, which I've never heard of before until right now. Um, and the Blu-ray comes. Out. I would imagine it's going to be very popular on Blu-ray. I would imagine mm-hmm. it's probably it's probably going to get released many times on Blu-ray. Okay. I, if I had to guess, sure. So no, I, I would imagine it's going to be a profitable film for like, for everybody involved. Okay, okay. And it definitely right gives Nicholas Cage some um, art credit back.
1: Yeah, I I liked him in this for sure. I haven't seen him in I think in anything in a while, but I liked him in this. <laughs> I think the last thing I saw with him was Kick Ass. <laughs> Oh my god. That, yeah, That's man. been a while ago. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. I haven't seen him in in a, in a good deal of anything recently, I think. He hasn't been in a good deal of anything. Yeah. <laughs> I don't do those red box releases. Trying <laughs> what's the last major
0: like blockbuster film that he was in, Ghost Rider. That well yeah, that was the last live action one. And before that he voiced uh he did voice acting in the Crudes, the, the Dreamworks like caveman movie that came out like five oh, years ago. Oh my god, I
1: actually saw that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, like you're talking Ghost Rider, Vengeance of Spirit, Drive Angry, um, Season of the Witch, Sorcerer's Apprentice, Kick Ass.
1: Mm, Sorcerer's Apprentice. Well, so, yeah, there there isn't much to say about the second half, um, except the very end. There's one more scene I want to uh, want to point out. Um, Linus Roach comes back. It's the big... It's when Nicolas Cage gets his revenge. Um, I love this scene. I think it's established. I'm biased. I love Linus Roach. But one of the things that really stood out to me about this scene is that uh, Linus Roach does all the talking. And it's him... With his back up against a wall, Nicolas Cage is just – Nicholas Cage maybe has one or two lines, but he's just getting closer and closer to Linus Roach. And Linus Roach goes through all the thoughts and all the mindsets that someone who knows they are a sham and a cult leader goes through when he's being faced with death. So, of course, you know, Nicolas Cage shows up, and I think he throws the severed head of one of the women's at Linus Roach. And Linus Roach is immediately like, who do you think you are? I was chosen by God, like you can't kill me, you're nothing compared to me. Nicholas Cage gets closer, starts grabbing him. Linus Roach starts, you know, trying to deal. He's like, I can take you on, we can like lead together, that type of stuff. And then when it gets to the pure desperation, Linus Roach says the line. I think Nicholas Cage grabs his head and he's grabbing his head and he's like basically like holding him down, looking down at him, and Linus Roach says, "I'll blow you, man." I'll suck your fucking dick if that's what you want. Oh, I'll blow you, man. I'll suck your fucking dick. Is that what you want? <laughs> and with all the references that we've talked about in this movie yeah, so far, yeah. I'm so glad that we get a MacGruber reference. Sir, I just. Where's the colonel?
0: You gotta help me. They want to kick me off the mission. Well, under the circumstances... Fuck you,
1: dickhead! All right. Wait, wait, wait! I didn't mean that! I didn't mean that! What do you want, MacGruber? Join my team. What? Join my new team and tell the Colonel I can do this. I can't do that. Okay. Don't make me beg here, because I will do it. I am so sorry. I'm so goddamn sorry! I'm freaking out here! I killed them! I killed them! I'm so fucking stupid!
0: I don't know what I'm doing and everybody
2: hates me! Look, I will suck your dick. I will suck your fucking dick. I will do it. Just join my team. I'll suck your dick. You can
1: fuck me or get fucked by me. You can watch me fuck something. Just
0: something in the room and I'll
1: fuck it for you.
0: Come on, just tell me what you want me to fuck!
1: Jesus Christ, MacGruber.
0: Just tell me what you want me to fuck!
1: <laughs> okay, I don't have any lubricant. Do you see any whiteout or, like, copy toner should work? Girl? Put your pants
0: back on! <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that, that was clearly It's like, oh man, it's a MacGruber. Like, who would have thought we'd come to a point where MacGruber is actually a, an inside joke in the culture?
1: yes and so that's uh, i think i'm tainted because i love that whole scene and i was really into it like emotionally charged by that scene because i knew linus roach was going to die nicholas cage didn't give a fuck about whatever he had to say but when he's like i'll suck your fucking dick i'm like mcgruber that was the first thing i thought of uh spoiler alert no dicks get sucked in this movie or mcgruber if i remember correctly Oh my God, at least not by Magruber, right? <laughs> Tell me what you want me to buy. <laughs> <laughs> oh so so yes, we get a great Magruber reference, and that whole scene of Linus Rouch is great. And like Zach said, Nicholas Cage, or we said he gets revenge and he gets in the car and gives his grin and drives away. And that's really the movie. That, like we said, it's really straightforward. You get some good performances. You get some good scenes, great, unique visuals. You can't deny that. Um, But that's, you know, that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. And that's where I think it just misses the mark for me. If it had a little more plot or maybe a twist or something in there, it would have been a home run. But I think,
0: uh, I also like, I think the cinematography. I think if there's, anyth- if there's anything mainstream going for this film, or I guess more in a uh, critical award sense. Like, forget about mm. Nicolas Cage. Try to get to yeah. some, like, a, like a, cinet- uh, a cinematography Oscar. Oh, like, yeah. Like, 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 go for that. I think you'd have a better chance with something like that, or maybe technical. Then you definitely. would like I, this is one of those films where you could definitely play like the outside odds and be like, forget the acting, forget the screenplay, forget anything like that. Try to get technical stuff. Because I could see people being like, oh, there like, like there's technical stuff here. It's kind of like what happened with Inception or like Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. But, like, there's, it's too much of a pulpy film to get like awards people on board with. So let's say like, okay, uh, appreciate the craftsmanship that went into it. Great point. Great point.
1: Yeah, that's that's where I think uh, uh, where I believe, honestly, it should win the awards First you know, it, it's beautiful. This is a beautiful film. You can't deny it. Yeah, definitely. OK, well, then, Zach, that's the last thing I have. So now snacks, snacks. OK, well, well, Cheddar Goblin. <laughs> How do we license Cheddar Goblin to be at the Cinematities restaurant? That's the first question. Cheddar Um,
0: Goblin is the official macaroni and cheese of the Cinemani's restaurant.
1: (laughs) Yes, that's the only macaroni and cheese we will serve. And the Cheddar Goblin will vomit it onto your person when you order it. There's no silverware. There's no plates. It's going right on the top of your head. And you just have to hope that you know when it's coming. So maybe you can open your mouth and tilt it upwards so you can eat some of it when the Cheddar Goblin is vomiting it up. So the Cheddar Goblin is the low-hanging fruit. I actually had another one that was not Cheddar Goblin related. So we get a scene um, when Nicolas Cage is going on his killing spree and he is taking down the Black Skulls, the the Hellraiser people. So there's a scene where I think Nicolas Cage, he's like on the floor. He's being pinned down by one of them. One who, yes, this is the the Black Skull that, you know, before Nicolas Cage attacks him, he is literally face down in a pile of cocaine. You know, very much (laughs) a la Scarface. Another reference. Yeah, yeah. There's even a tiger in this movie. (laughs) And so they go back and forth, you know, their John Wick action-style fighting. uh, Nicolas Cage is pinned on the ground, but Nicolas Cage gets him somehow. And I think he slices the throat of this person above him. And we get an insane shot, which is over the shoulder of of the biker, of the demonic Hellraiser person. And you just see the back of his head. You see Nicolas Cage's face. And after he slices the throat, it must be a good five seconds of blood just pouring onto Nicolas Cage's face, directly into his mouth, covering his teeth, his face, his nose, everything. So here we go, Zach. Here's my pitch. You can order the Mandy blood bag pinata. And so you get a pinata for your table, and then maybe there's, like, little knives or something that you don't get, you know, maybe... Maybe that's like a Tyson with a Jason. You get little machetes for the table. No, the axe. It's got to be Nicolas Cage's axe. You get that. And you can whack at this. And then when you pierce it, it's just, it's, you know, like high fructose corn syrup colored red. It's not even nutritious. It's, it's like not even a food or anything. It just <laughs> dumps all over the table. Like it's a mess on the table. And that's that's the menu item. What do you think? that's One clever bag, i like that a bag pinata that's what i want to call it
0: <laughs> that's that's another reference that's another that's an evil dead reference when like he'll like do something like all like the black bile go over uh bruce oh, campbell yeah that's right
1: that's right yeah, that's, that, that's evil
0: dead like that's that's clearly evil dead inspired
1: okay um, right on right on well you uh, know so we're just making more work for our janitorial crew but i think it'll yes. be a hot hot seller <laughs>
0: Uh, I, I'm a little disappointed. I figured where Rob was going with that is that we didn't mention this earlier, but I guess now's the good as time as any. It was it after Nicolas Cage like uh, slits the guy's throat? The all the blood comes on him. He goes over to the pile of cocaine <laughs> with the piece of glass that he used to slice the guy's neck open with. Takes like a like what uh, a thing of cocaine on the 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 glass shard oh, yeah. and snorts and, it all. Oh, yeah,
1: he snorts it. He snorts it He snorts it, he snorts it. Good deal of cocaine Brilliant. right off of a shard of glass, and, and then to
0: slice someone's neck open with.
1: And then he proceeds to go into the kitchen, and he's like, "Here's my crossbow. Here's some LSD. Better take that because it made these guys super powerful." <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: so I think we should do is like
0: much like we like um, you're given the freaked DVD when you leave the Cinematis restaurant, okay. like kind of like the after dinner mint you get there's a giant pile of cocaine and you get <laughs> that same knife you used and you like you take a scoop of it and you snort it as you're leaving
1: the uh Cinemati's restaurant this would be we could throw out all of the food basically and just say that when you you go in you pay you leave you get a bump of cocaine we'd be the most <laughs> successful restaurant ever
0: <laughs> oh my god but
1: uh no
0: going back to actual food items Um, this one's a little bit of a cheat. It's not exactly a food item,
1: but
0: part of the utensils you get to eat at the Cinematis restaurant, instead of getting like a steak knife or a butter knife, you get the Nicolas Cage, like Klingon war axe. Full size. Yes. And that's what you use to cut your meal with.
1: Like to scale that Nicolas Cage
0: uses. Yes.
1: Oh, great. I love it.
0: (laughs) It requires an, an immense amount of finesse to use it
1: to like cut your steak or whatever you're ordering. This makes me think there's a Whitest Kids You Know sketch where the whole sketch is just, here's Poseidon and the devil trying to eat spaghetti, and they both have <laughs> giant pitchforks and they can't eat spaghetti. Like, we could have, like, a little booth where it's like we have an event and we say, like, this month at the Cinemodities restaurant, watch Nicolas Cage try and eat something with his giant axe. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's okay, that, I yeah, like that, that. it. How do like we said, wash how do we wash those utensils? Really big dishwasher. <laughs> you want to get like a walk-in
0: dishwasher? Essentially, you know you we do forget that. We're going to make it even low or make it even more lowbrow. Um we have to get all of them and we pay someone to run through a car wash with it
1: is is a walk-in dishwasher different from a car wash? I get I guess that would be my next question. I guess
0: the, I think the only difference is um I think maybe one's sealed and one isn't.
1: <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. okay, okay.
0: That's what we do. Uh, we actually don't – at the Cinemati's restaurant, we don't have any dishwashers. We just pay someone to go run through the like – we have like a giant like a busboy bin, and they run through the car wash every hour with all the utensils and plates. Do we own the car wash or is it no. just like it's a car no. wash
1: in the area that we're, we're like outsourcing? to? <laughs> so, so it's like most retail places when they have to like take the cash bag and run the money to the bank during the day. We have to run all the dishes to the <laughs> exactly. car wash in the middle exactly. of the
0: day. <laughs> Everything, dishes, utensils, tabletops
1: that got covered with blood.
0: (laughs) Oh my god! Yeah, pretty much.
1: So that's why when people come in and they're like, you know, oh, we want to, we want to, you know, party of four at the Cinemodities Restaurant, and we give them that little vibrating thing, and it's like it's going to be about a twenty-minute wait. We're waiting for their tables to come back from the car wash. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it! I love it. That's
0: how we (laughs) cut down on costs. We don't we don't have any water water expenses or anything like that or or dishwashers. We just straight up just use the uh, car wash down the street. Yeah, we got to get a good
1: deal with them.
2: <laughs>
1: oh, I love it. Okay, that's a good. I like that one, Zach. Did you have any um, food items? That was uh, pencil.
0: I, yeah, fantastic. cheddar. Gob- I, I don't think I can top cheddar goblin. Cheddar goblin's like the perfect. Like you cannot ask for a better Cinematis food item than cheddar goblin. It really
1: is. Like that just. That just screams Cinemodities Restaurant before you even know you're going to listen to an episode of Cinemodities, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: I think I think we should do a partnership with whoever did the Too Many Cooks and Cheddar Goblin and bring them in as like a consultant on the Cinemodities
1: Restaurant. Oh, they would. If there is anyone that I would want to do the uh, the Rob and Zach uniforms, I don't get how like in
0: today's day and age the guy behind Too Many Cooks hasn't like been celebrated. As like the genius he is.
1: Yeah, I I don't know either. But maybe we have to be the people that get him to that point. All right, Rob. Who do we tweet to for this? I, is too many cooks like its own Twitter handle? I don't think so. <laughs> too, too few cooks is is too few they're, cooks. they're they're trying to to, to like divert traffic. <laughs> I don't know. I, I would I would imagine that you know since he's maybe he he we keep saying he she them. It, aliens, who knows? An AI algorithm made this. We don't know. Uh, maybe they are looking for privacy. Who knows? But it seems like with how little notoriety they get, they might be directly the people to reach out to, if we can find them. No, that's that's good. Yeah, so I, I agree. That is the natural pairing of the Cinematogies restaurant with an outside creative force, the Too Many Cooks group, whoever they may be. I love it. We'll work on that. We will work on that. Because now that, of course, we have, you know, you know, the restaurant set up. We've had our cold open. Only 90 percent of the people that attended the cold open died. That's five percent better than we expected. I think we're on track to, you know, contact too many cooks and go on that. What's that show? Shark Tank and pitch our restaurant. (laughs) Yeah, we're we're moving up in the world. What do you think? Six million dollars for one percent of the business.
0: <laughs> I was okay okay we have to do that that's gonna be a spin spinoff episode. Rob and Zach go to Shark Tank to pitch the Cinemaddie's restaurant. <laughs> Mark Cuban's like, "What are you doing with the caviar wall?" <laughs> but, but once we tell him there's a giant mound of cocaine that's a substitute for like a mint, he's like, "Sold." Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: definitely. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, okay, we man, I like this episode. We got some good plans going forward for the Cinemaddie's restaurant. Got our homework, got our work cut out for us we certainly do.
0: So with that being said Robert are we moving on to uh, a and late night status?
1: Yeah yeah I guess so because I uh, I really already t- I already talked about my late night status. I think this is a great late night movie you know I you know um, just in the terms of the environment that I've watched late night movies before, I've said it before I'll say it again you know you're intoxicated just before bed, late at night. This is great. I I would say the first half of this movie, no, honestly, the whole of this movie, in terms of the visuals, spot on. That's exactly what I'm looking for in terms of a late night movie. And I think this is bolstered by what I said at the start. You can watch the first half and then fall asleep. You're not going to miss anything, except the MacGruber reference at the end. Uh, (laughs) So late night movie, absolutely. And you know what, Zach? I'm going to have to say yes to cinemotity as well for how unique this movie is for how much i love the first half for linus roach actually being involved in a cult like this movie was interesting to watch it was interesting to research it was interesting to talk about i i guess it gets the it gets the cinema thumbs up and it gets the late night movie thumbs up
0: cinema it's like okay i guess it has to be a I, I it's weird enough yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's so derivative of other things that are so popular, which which is weird because that's the antithesis of what a cinemodity
1: is. Yeah, but I, I, I like the way you said it before, though, as it was a um a repackaging of a theme, and I feel like that I don't encounter those movies so often. That might be another reason. Like you kind of convinced me, you know, that this movie does this fairly well, and and I give it, you know, a cinemodity's. Label for that too, because that's not something I usually pick up on if it if I do see it, and I don't think it's something I see often.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Like, like I said, I don't I don't know about cinemati. I guess yes.
1: I guess it's a it's you're, a. Um, you're not gonna say we have to wait till the blu-ray. <laughs> well, maybe there's, but, like, there's like three or four cinematis that you've been like I don't know I gotta wait till the blu-ray.
0: <laughs> well, this is well, a lot of parts to cinematis. It's letting them kind of gestate for a while and yeah, seeing and how they feel how many years from now.
1: That's fair. That's fair.
0: But no, I think this is a definite late night movie. This is probably going on the Halloween. Depending on when I I get my because uh, the Blu-ray comes out October thirtieth. Mm. It's not being released in stores, so it has to be oh. like I, I know Best Buy and Target are getting it, but like it's um only online.
1: Yeah. yeah. So
0: it's like trying to get like shipped to the house fast enough. <laughs> because because technically like it's weird some stores do pre-orders that don't like like oh you'll pre-order though but they don't ship it to you until the release date oh oh yeah oh yeah and Best Buy and Best Buy is one of the few ones that will actually ship out stuff ahead of time so like if you sure. pre-order it like they'll actually like ship it out like on the Thursday or Friday before release okay. So it might be like I said. I know I was going to say I was going to do Freak on the projector this year if if I can actually do that for Halloween. Mm-hmm. But if I can't get
1: Ma- if I can get Mandy before the thirty first, it will be Mandy. Oh, you're not going to do like a mix and match and do a little bit of Freak, a little bit of Odd Sack, a little bit of Perfect Hair Forever.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely not. No Perfect Hair Forever on Halloween. <laughs> You need but more no. projectors and more sides to your house, Zach. I need more sides to my house. <laughs> but no, Mandy, I, I think Mandy's going to be one of those ones where you might have to do like a Cinemotides Revisited. Where like, okay. like, like a year from now, it's like, oh, like, will we still call this what it is? Like, has it grown at all in popularity?
1: A true Cinemodities update, yeah. Yeah,
0: and I think that's what it is. I think because Mandy's tune, it's weird. I think it's outside of like Sicario 2. Day of the Soldado, mm-hmm. and like Jurassic World Two, Dinosaur, Boogaloo. It really is the newest thing we've
1: ever talked about. Yeah, yeah, you're right, and I, I, it's probably the the most. It's the newest thing we've talked about that I've liked the most as well.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, alrighty, Rob. Now that we answered all the important questions.
1: Where do we go from here? Well, I do. I want how how many more weeks do we have in Monstober? One just one we're finally at the end of monstover Jeez. oh except with maybe a bonus episode that is zach and i ranting for an hour about halloween (laughs) who knows when that's gonna come out (laughs) um okay man only one more in monstover oh i'm i'm a little sad to see monstover at the tail end do we want to do we want to say what we're talking about next week no, wanna... because there's a very there's a possibility there's a slight possibility that it might change. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. You know. So I next week I... we're talking about
0: <laughs> a certain title here. Oh
1: man. Okay. I, okay. Think,
0: I think I mentioned on earliest episode like oh, and we talk about creep show in a couple weeks.
1: Yeah, that's not it. That's <laughs> not happening. It might be. Uh, who knows what Zach when Zach spins the roulette wheel every 5 minutes. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's a fun thing. Is that like like Monstober is like like a Rubik's cube that just constantly keeps changing whereas <laughs> the rest of the year it's like, "Oh, okay." Cuz now now it's just
1: once we hit November, it's waiting for the next Monstober 11 months away. <laughs> yeah, Zach is going to be primarily uh, all size on every recording after Monstober. I'm going to be like, "Hey Zach, here's a question for you." He's going to go <sighs> ah, <laughs> Monstober, Cheddar Goblin, <laughs> Cheddar Goblin indeed. No, okay, so yeah, so I guess then nobody knows what our our final episode of Monstober will entail. But uh, we'll 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 get to it next week, and I'm looking forward to it to even find out for myself. Other than that, I, I think we have to answer the question of. How do we end this episode? And Zach, I'm going to say no right now. We're not doing the shallow song backwards. It's not happening. Okay. <laughs> How about we have
0: the Gremlins sing the Shallow song backwards? Uh, uh, can you elaborate? How can would we get you? The, can we get the Gremlins from Gremlins Two to sing the Shallow song?
1: If we could do that, then I would say yes in reverse. Ah, uh, that's they even better. Sing,
0: they sing oh no, no, we don't play it backwards, they sing it
1: backwards. Oh, so they do like a uh, they do like a black lodge type of thing. Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah, if if we can do that by the time this episode needs to come out, great. If not <laughs> I don't know how, how we can get the gremlins on such short notice because this episode is coming out so soon as to we're recording it that it might as well be live. <laughs> um, I, I would say if we can't get that to happen on this episode, we'll, we'll keep it in the works. The Gremlins and, theme backwards, and <laughs> well, I have a, I have a feeling that's going to get in there regardless of of what we decide. Um, but what about the King Crimson song backwards? How about that, Zach? It's not uh, Lady
0: Gaga and Bradley Cooper, but I guess I can settle.
1: It's not Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. Just, good good nothing should be lady gaga and bradley cooper
0: (laughs) they are far from the shallow oh god okay
1: well let's see how that sounds whatever the reversed outro music (laughs) comes out being and we'll catch you next week for the finale of monstover Shallow Gremlins. Like what the kids
0: would call today like a dank ass meme.
2: Yes.